Hey guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about our Podcasts app which is now live on the App Store. It's the world's first audio-driven app for experiencing medicine. Every week you can step into the shoes of doctors with an engaging case and quiz. Download now and have a look for yourself. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we've gone far, far away from the UK and we have the privilege of having with us today Dr. Osama Saeed, who is a doctor who graduated from Imperial College London in 2016. However, he declined his academic foundation post at Guys in St. Thomas's Hospital in favour of going all the way to America to take up a residency training post as chief resident in dermatology in a Manhattan-based hospital in New York. He's also the co-founder of Liberty Medics and it's a massive pleasure to have you on the show today, bro. Um, how have you been? Welcome to the show, Osama. Thank you so much, guys. It's my pleasure to join you. It feels weird hearing myself described in that way, going far, far away from home. Because, uh, you know, yeah. it's close at heart, boys. I hope you you appreciate it. It's close at heart. I'll always be a, a UK boy in my heart. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we, may be, we may be in different time zones right now, but it feels yeah. like it feels like we're still close. No, Definitely. guys, America isn't that far. Come on, it's not. It's far, far away. Sounds like Australia. Fine, I should have <laughs> exactly. used one far. It's just far away. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. double down exactly. on the far. We don't want to. Um, yeah. I'm on the east coast, right? That's just far away. If I was California, it's okay. far, far. Exactly. Away. Yeah. Okay. There's so many things I want to talk about. Um, you're probably the first guest that we've had um, who is working abroad with an interesting story. Um, but as is the case with all our guests, we want to take it all the way to the very beginning. We want to find out, before Dr. Saeed became Dr. Saeed, what point did you feel like, do you know what, I want to be a medic, I want to be a doctor, I want to go to med school, and kind of start that journey with us up until kind of present day? Sure. So um, I think I think a lot of your listeners and probably you guys especially, being you know from uh, South Asian descent, I think it'll be a pretty familiar story for a lot of people. So I was... Mm. Uh, I was born in Pakistan, actually. So, so my family and I all lived there. I was born in Peshawar in Pakistan, like in, mm. on the border of Afghanistan. And we lived there till I was about five. And then we moved over to the UK because um, my dad's a doctor. So he was mm. a, in a very similar position that I would find myself much later on in my life, where he wanted to pursue a pathway in his career as a doctor that he thought would be the most beneficial for his family. So he took us all mm. to England when I was five and he settled in uh, Birmingham in the Midlands, which was a small upgrade, not a huge upgrade. I think, I think anyone from the mm. Midlands would agree. Uh, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so we settled there and um, basically it's this family tradition in my family where my dad made it clear to us all from a very young age that we would mm. be doctors. And the choice that we had was what type of doctor we would be. <laughs> and, if we, and if we had other uh, interests in life or other kind of passions, the rule was you get your MD or your MBBS certificate, you get your graduation from medical school, and then you decide what you want to do in life. Because um, yeah. as I'm sure a lot of South Asians can relate, you know, for our parents, that was always the most prestigious, the most mm. uh, reliable, the safe path to follow is that, you know, the famous mm. thing is you'll never be hungry if you're a doctor. There are a lot of other things in yeah. life where, you know, society might change, they might not need you, but doctors, they're always going to need doctors. They're always going to be respected. And therefore, um, they always saw it as the gold standard of the kind of career path to be able to follow. So, you know, my dad's a doctor. All of my uncles on my dad's side in Pakistan are doctors. Most of my uncles on my mom's side are doctors. I have three older brothers, all of whom became doctors. 
and oh, wow. so <laughs> and so for me even as the youngest of four brothers um i remember pretty crystal clear when i was like six or seven there was like a, a one of those parent teacher what are they called uh, the things at school um so parents evening. parents evening that's parents it evenings. Yeah, parents <laughs> evenings. So, so there's one of the parents evenings and i remember going there's like a six or seven year old and my my dad explaining <laughs> to my teacher clearly that he will be a doctor and the teacher, was like, <laughs> the teacher was kind of laughing nervously but being like you know or you know he likes writing he could also go that. my dad was like no he, he can write as a doctor <laughs> that, yeah. that's okay yeah. <laughs> um at so, this yeah. point, I'm, I'm thinking, should I reach out to, to Dr. Saeed Senior? Because, <laughs> exactly, <'cause>... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be more accurate to ask him, when did you decide Osama would be a doctor? So, yeah, um, so yeah that was always pretty clear, crystal clear in my head. I, and, and because, you know, when you're naturally, you tend to look at your family for role models and examples of what you can potentially do in a career. Mm. And my mm. family had t- tactically made it that I had no other role models apart from doctors. So what, what it meant was, <laughs> as soon as I was trying to make all these decisions, kind of the default position was that I would go towards medicine and I would have yeah. to really like, you know, kick up a fuss and like do my own research if I wanted to make a case for going somewhere else. So truth be yeah. told, my, my main passions in life are have always been like English, language, literature, writing, philosophy, all th- those kind of things are mm-hmm. things I'm much more naturally interested yeah. in. But, mm. you know, my, my dad would always ask me like, what, what would you do as a job if you studied English? Would you be an English teacher? And I'd be like, no, I'm not going to be an English teacher. Yeah. So, so like, <laughs> and, and for, for anyone in the same position, that doesn't mean that, that I don't think there's a value in those things. I think um, you can make very compelling cases for a lot of other careers, but only if you've seen it being done before. So if you ask me now, if I could go back, I would probably be able to make a much stronger case for going to other things. Yeah. But back then, my dad would just be like, you're going to be homeless. You're not going to have food. And I'd be like, well, that doesn't sound good. Well, in that case, I've got to be a, <laughs> I've got to be a doctor if I'm going to be homeless and not have food. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, I was kind of always just uh, like it's not the most inspirational story or classic story in the case where you know I had always dreamt of putting on that white coat. For me, it was just mm. like, a, oh no, this is what we do. Like as science, yeah. we we become doctors. <laughs> so so yeah. that was what I bro. Do. I tell me about doctors. tell me about the banter that must have been in the family because you must have. <laughs> All the specialties oh, yeah. under one roof. So, so what, oh, yeah. imagine the orthopedic guys and the surgeons <laughs> and the medics. And then oh the GPs. <laughs> Are the GPs like the, the, the second or third removed cousins or, or like, you know. Exactly. That's the way it works. And, and I once, once had a fifth brother, but he became a dentist. So we just disowned oh. him. From the family. No, <laughs> he doesn't exist See, anymore. I remember. <laughs> You're the youngest of four. <laughs> uh, so kind of moving forward. So you kind of early on were exposed to to medicine as a career i'm sure yeah. you saw your father you saw your uncles um and a couple of senior members of your family um at what point were you still in birmingham when you decided you want to come to a london-based med school how was that process of kind of getting into medical school what kind of weighed in your decision making yeah so um i always did want to come to london uh, for for medical school just because Again, I lived in Birmingham for all of my life in the UK, and uh, mm. I don't know why, but when I was in the UK, the idea of going to London like an hour and a half away seemed like it was the other side of the world. Like I, I had mm. like never gone to London because I was like, oh my god, you have to get a train down there, like it's an hour and a half. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. now when I'm in America, people travel an hour and a half like to go for dinner, and then they're like, oh, yeah. it's like, oh, I know a great place nearby, and it'll be like an hour and a half away, and I'm like wow. nearby. So like, the, <laughs> like, the reference point Birmingham before, to London. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I always try to put everything in that respect. I'm like, that's basically Birmingham to London or like, you know, half the way to Birmingham to London. So yeah, I hadn't even visited London that much, but I had gone a couple of times and um, my eldest brother had uh, done his medical school graduate entry at Warwick. And then he had done, he's eight years older than me for context. So he had gone and done his 
F1 at uh, St. Mary's Hospital in, in London. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he had told me about how amazing it was living in London and, and you know, told me about all, all these experiences and, and uh, how amazing the hospitals were that, that he was training in there. So that definitely did uh, bias uh, kind of my thinking towards going towards London. And naturally, it's one of those things where like I'm like, I'm a sucker for, for branding, right? So the same way, like mm-hmm. yeah. when I came to America, I was like, New York, like in the same yeah. way when yeah. I was thinking about England, I was always like London, like I have to get to yeah. London. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I, I applied like to, you know, Imperial Kings. Um, I think it was, I applied to Oxford, Birmingham, cause obviously this is my local. So I applied, to, I applied to a bunch yeah. of places, but, uh, I was more London centric in my way of thinking. And then it worked out with a couple of the offers I had. And mm. in terms of between Imperial and Kings and things like that, I was just, um, I was going on those like random league tables that they published. I don't even know what the metrics are, but like I'll go on those and see what was the highest rated. And I'll just go for yeah. whatever like people said was the most prestigious. So out of those, that's why I went uh, for Imperial. I think, gonna, I think you misread it. Kings nah, was higher know, at the time. Know, <laughs> but do you know what? <laughs> Imperial does outrun Kings, but boy, Kings, we know how to have fun. We definitely <laughs> have to have four more you fun know, than Imperials. You know what's funny though? Like when, when I went on my Kings day, my interview day and everything, I loved the campus. Like I got such a good vibe from Kings. And then yeah. Imperial, it felt a bit boring i'm not gonna lie and i actually didn't like it as much but like my family and stuff were like no no you have to go for whatever size rate it's you have yeah. to go for imperial or whatever but um king's always had a close place in my heart and then uh, my no. my wife i mean you guys know uh, shireen yeah. uh mm. you may yeah. know her so she went to king's so we yeah. like so you know a lot yeah. of you know uh, so, so you're king's you're, uh, you're, you're king's <laughs> exactly my heart was always in king's that's what i say <laughs> so tell us a bit more about that that medical experience going to imperial how was it was medicine what you thought it would be or was the the disparity between okay you know when you're applying for medical school this way it's like yeah. when you're there it's a whole different ball game kind of tell us that part of your medical school journey sure so i i think i think for a lot of people um a lot of people, I think, may be more excited by the whole experience when they go to medical school because it's very new for them. I, I know a lot of friends personally, mm. for example, they're like the first person within their family to, to go to medical school, to become doctors. Mm. And because of that, like everything feels like really exciting and new or potentially mm. on the flip side, like they can have very high expectations of what it's going to be like. And then when they get there, maybe they can be a bit disappointed. But because for me, I'd had three brothers, you know, who were in medical school already ahead of me in different UK universities. Mm. So one of them, as I mentioned, was at Warwick. My brother, mm. my second oldest brother was at Birmingham. Um, so I knew what, what to expect in the sense that I would like see their notes and I would hear them complaining mm. about how boring lectures were for the first two years. And I heard them saying how like <laughs> everything is so like terrible in the first two years, mm. but from year three yeah. onwards, when you go into hospitals, it's a bit better because you feel like you, you're a real doctor. So, um, mm. I think a lot of that I was mentally prepped for. So I didn't really have many high expectations of what first and second year were going to be like. I knew that it would mainly be lecture based, you know, teaching and you'll be studying the really basic like biochemical pathways and things like that. So um, I kept my low expectations mm-hmm. and um, Imperial did not disappoint. So <laughs> it really was like that. It really was. <laughs> in the sense in the first two years obviously you're in the nitty-gritty of it you don't really get to even learn much stuff which seems clinically relevant immediately right like you're too busy focusing on the the minute microscopic details of things uh, but i love my university experience so much that like that was almost secondary like it, it, yeah. it's not a great example for other people but but the way imperial has it set up is you basically only have end of year exams we don't have these mm. um 
midway through the year exams or you know end of term mm. evaluations or anything like that and we have we used to have i guess almost no evaluated uh coursework or like you know assignments throughout the year so literally you you could get by pretty easily by just doing nothing the entire year and then studying at the end of the year if that's what, if that's the kind of person <laughs> yeah. you were and that's the kind of person I was. So, so I focused the rest of my time on just, you know, having a great university experience. I made some amazing friends who, you know, hmm. are, are still my closest circle to this day. And, uh, awesome. and I was just so caught up in that whole experience of like moving away from home, meeting new people, hmm. living in a new city, going on like, you know, 1 a.m. bike rides through the city. Oh, to get those to are like, amazing. Yeah, to get to like Edgware Road, 24-hour Tesco mm. and, and buy like some yeah. random junk food and recycle bag, like all these kind of, yeah. you know, just stupid university things that you do and meet people. <laughs> so I yeah. loved my experience in that sense. In the actual studying context, um, I would say that I'm not a very like lecture-based learner. Like the idea for me of waking up at whatever 8 a.m. in the morning and going to my lecture and sitting there while someone else reads things to me in their own speed. And if I like daydream mm. for two minutes I can't get back into it without you know being confused and I can't pause and I can't rewind and I can't like all of that stuff really doesn't suit my style of learning mm. and I also am very much like a, a reading based learner so I need to mm. you know see something on the paper and take my time to digest that information for it to really register so I did not enjoy that lecture based style of learning and a lot of it for me was a case of like you know we go to these things as much as we have to and if we can get away with yeah. not going to these things we will try and get away with not going to these things yeah um so that was my general outlook not that that's a great example for your listeners i'm just saying there are mm. some people out there mm. who learn in different styles right that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad student it just means that no, of course. um the way that universities deliver their education isn't necessarily suited to to, to your way of learning so that was definitely me for the first two years i'd say mm. Mm. And what what was your thoughts on the clinical years? What how did you find that transition period from preclinical to clinical? And were there any challenges that you felt, whoa, this is a little bit different? Yeah, so so I, I enjoyed clinical years much more than preclinical years just because again, just being in the hospital, right? Like you get these little tastes of like playing doctor and, and, and that's like that makes it more exciting for you. Even someone like yeah. me who wasn't necessarily like hugely passionate as a kid like i'm definitely going to be a doctor even then like it's a, a profession i respect immensely and mm, so yeah. naturally being in that role and seeing them in action and seeing them like intervene to to help a patient who's unstable you can't help but you know be impressed by that and it makes you have a mm. different level of respect for what it is you're doing um <clears throat> sorry give me one second boys <clears throat> but um but yeah, so I definitely enjoyed my clinical years more. The the part that was difficult about clinical years was always that I felt like I was in this like middle zone where I'm not actually a doctor, but I'm not just like <clears throat> a medical, so I'm not just like a, you know, a work experience student. Like I'm supposed to yeah. be mm. doing something. I'm supposed to be useful, but I'm just not quite useful yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, always, I know what you mean. Just sort of trying like, to take It reminds me of that meme. You know that meme that went around? I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, it shows the hierarchy in... In med school, it's like the consultant, the reg, the SHO, the F1, the nurse, the dustbin. And then after the dustbin, it's the, F1, uh, the medical student. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the, dustbin, the dustbin knows its role, right? Whereas for me, yeah, I it serves a role. purpose, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it serves like, a... Yeah, 100%. So mm. the attending's telling me, like, go, go clock a patient and do this. I'm like, yeah, yeah all right. But like, uh, none of you actually care what I say when I talk about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't actually matter because like, I'll go clock a patient and come back like three hours later because that's how long it takes yeah. me because I've been like, <laughs> like cutting, cutting the bases of their lungs like for 30 minutes. I know. And, um, 
And then I'll come back and they'll be like, oh, that patient, we're already discharging them. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, when, oh, when patients see the reg, they see the F1, they see the F2, and then you've come up and you're like, can I speak to you for another hour for my yeah. history? And they're like, what? <laughs> Why? Exactly. I'm going home now. Yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll come in, they'll be like, oh, they'll be asleep. And like, I'll walk in, the patient will be asleep. And I'm like, listen, their sleep is way more important than whatever I'm about to yeah. do right now. <laughs> so like, I would just walk out. <laughs> I don't walk around nah. and be like patient declined. I'll be like in their own way, patient, patient declined. <laughs> yeah. They were nah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, med school, it really is, is a fun time, especially clinics, because you're super excited, you get to do cool things, and it's less, um, I'll say, rigorous compared to like the preclinical lectures where it's kind of pretty much yeah. 95, five days a week. So it was that luxury. Um, so it definitely seems that you did enjoy kind of the London city life. You, you, What's refreshing to hear is it wasn't medical school for you. It was that whole university experience as well. I think yeah. a lot of students go to med school thinking it's med school, forgetting the fact that this is also the time of your life where you're supposed to have that university experience where you get to know yourself, yeah. discover so many new things, meet so many people um, like you did, um, even if it is in a whole different, complete new city. Um, so that's something I do echo to all our listeners and everyone. So I'm sure you, you smashed your exams, you know, you've got for Imperial um, and then it comes to this point where you land an academic foundation training program and then all of a sudden you're doing the biggest plot twist U-turn ever so you tell us what you did in your own words yeah. and then tell us the rationale and yeah. logic to and it and why because <laughs> that is a post which you're going to go to tell our listeners that I would have accepted you know, in, in, in a blink of an eye, right? So, so the floor is yours. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it got to around about, you know, midway through my medical school years. And I was starting to, <laughs> what I say is I was starting to have like the curtain, uh, the, the veil was kind of coming off my yeah. eyes in the sense that my, you know, my parents and, and, and like uh, older uh, doctors I've spoken to before had always told me, like don't go into medicine for money and obviously you don't go mm. into medicine for money like that's like mm. <clears throat> an understood thing you're going into, into it to help people all the kind of things but deep down a part of you thinks like yeah but but there's money right like you know you kind of yeah it's natural that you think oh, okay but um i'm gonna make a pretty good amount and then you mm. start talking to people and by that point around about midway through your medical school years you'll find that your friends from like uh, before medical school, like college or sixth form, wherever you're in, they will then be finishing whatever degrees they were doing that wasn't medicine. So they'll be finishing True, yeah. their law degrees, they'll be finishing their economics degrees. And when you meet up with them, they'll be telling you, oh, I'm, you know, I got my first job out of uni. It's like 65K a year, something. Starting, yeah. And you'll be like, <clears throat> 65K a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You, we're still paying like, for tuition <laughs> that's what I'm saying. like you do a little record scratch you're like wait a minute and then i went and spoke to like a bunch of f1s and you know when i was in my clinical years i was in the hospital more so i started speaking to a lot of the doctors there and asking them like listen like uh did you regret <laughs> did you regret becoming a doctor and it's, cr it's crazy how high a number of people told me that they regretted it and how, how yeah. high a number of people told me that if they'd known what they know now they wouldn't have chosen medicine and you yeah. hear these numbers right you hear that like oh you'll start in f1 making what twenty eight thousand or what thirty thousand mm. and all of this given the context by the way like i understand that the kind of um money that doctors make is a comfortable living in the uk i'm not trying to say that yeah, they can't course. feed themselves yeah. their families and it's a very mm. privileged position to be in in respect to most mm -hmm. other jobs that exist in the country i'm just mm -hmm. comparing it to people who that i consider 
equally uh, qualified in terms of conventional degrees and equally qualified yeah. in terms of length of training. And mm. I started comparing the situation of dentists who were newly graduated and lawyers that were newly graduated and people in finance that were newly graduated and management consultants that were, that were newly graduated. And all of these things started kind of playing, um, playing a role in my mind. And I started thinking like, wait a minute, like, we're kind of being stitched up here. Like, you know, we, yeah. we, go through, we go through all these years of medical school. Then we start our like post-medical school training. Even when you're like a doctor, they put a little junior in front of it to make you look like you're like yeah. a little scout, a yeah. boy scout or something. Like you're just <laughs> a junior doctor. And then people don't realize that you're a junior doctor for about 12 years, right? That, yeah, that's exactly. how long the length yeah. of training is afterwards. You could be like a gray haired, like a mid 40 year old guy with like a dad belly and you're still a junior doctor. And you're like, oh yeah. my yeah. God, when, when will I be a senior doctor? So like, <laughs> All of all of those things um, started to become more more real to me, and that's honestly what started making me think about a career in the U.S. in the first place. So mm -hmm. I was comparing the two situations, and I was reading articles online and things wherever I could find them, like random forums and all these articles, and they were all talking about how in the U.S. after medical school, your residency training, you go straight into basically the specialty you want to do. And that was always something that I found really strange in England, where it's like, oh, if you want to be a dermatologist, great. You can rotate in radiology for four months, and then obs and gynae for four <laughs> months, and then all these like random things. <clears throat> and then yeah. in the US, they didn't have that. And the length of training was so much shorter. And then afterwards, naturally, I felt like the compensation, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to be biased as a doctor, but I, I felt like it was more fair. And it was more like respecting of the level of training and the effort and the sacrifice and the importance of the work we do. When I saw the yeah. figures in America compared to the qualified people in America, I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Doctors in America are paid similar to lawyers in America and finance mm. people in America. And I'm like, that's the way it should be. Whereas mm. I saw in England and I'm like, you get these waves and waves of talented people who have gone through yeah. their entire educational experience, being the top of their class, being the hard workers. And then they just don't get rewarded in the same way for, for, for the work that they do. So all of that had been on my mind. And because of that, I was toying with this idea of, you know, should I move to America? Should I like just try and go and become a doctor in America? Because, you know, mm. I spent, I'm going to be spending five, six years <clears throat> with the BSc becoming a doctor. I don't want to give all of that up, but it would be great if I could do my job as a doctor in a place where I thought uh, more fairly rewarded the efforts I, I put in. So I thought about, you know, do I take my, do I register for the step one, the USMLE step one exam, which, you know, we can talk a bit about later, but it was mm. this big exam that is much more similar in content to your first two years of medical school. But if you, uh, you, UK students tend to do it later on in their medical school journey because they only get the idea of going to the US much later on. So mm. I had this idea towards like my fifth year of medical school, so like my second last year, including the BSc. And I thought, you know what? I know it's the right thing to do for me to at least get this exam done. Let me get this exam out of the way. Once I have my score for this exam, uh, I know that in the future, I'm not going to be get lazy. Like if I'm like an F1 or an F2 later down the line, I decide to go yeah. to America. Mm. I won't be like, oh, but I have that whole step one I'm going to do and go, and go study the Krebs cycle. There's no way I'm doing that. Like, forget yeah, it. Yeah. So I was like, listen, Osama, whatever else you want to do later in life, do your step one now. And that way you can keep your options open later on. So I wasn't settled by any means on the fact that I was going to go to America. Uh, I just registered for my step one. And what I did was I did all the online forms and things that were pretty confusing. And then I just committed the money. So I paid the thousand dollars for the exam, the step yep. one, mm -hmm. and it was gone. So at that point in my head, I'm like, okay, I've used my money to commit myself, like to anchor myself to this idea mm. because yeah. uh, I know it's the right thing for me to do. So even though I booked my test period, like seven, eight months down the line, 
it was already done. So in my head, I was like, that's it. I've taken out any of this flip-flopping or changing my mind or feeling motivated, feeling unmotivated. I know logically mm-hmm. it makes sense. So let me not let my emotions get involved. Let me commit my money. And then one way or another, I will be taking mm-hmm. that exam on that day because I've paid $1,000 for it. And yeah, I don't of course. Have yeah. I'm right. I'm going to be sitting <laughs> that exam, regardless of what happens. It's like a driving exactly. test. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't care if I haven't prepped and I have to embarrass myself from failure. I will be going on that day and sitting in that chair because that's an expensive chair yeah. that I'm paid for. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I did that and um, I actually even did it before my fifth year finals exams because I knew that once mm. I got into final studying mode, the idea of doing another exam later on mm. would be so demoralizing that I just wouldn't do it. So I booked mm. it in like February or March of that year of 2015. I booked it for the like December of that year. So before I'd even started studying for my fifth year finals, I'd already committed <clears throat> to taking the step yeah. one uh, in December of that year. So, you know, I did all of that. I started my studying for step one. I I, I worked for it harder than any other exam I've worked for in my whole life. And then hmm. I took it at the end of December of that year. Uh, so in December of my final year, basically, I took my, my step one exam. And mm. it was tough because, you know, I was I was trying to study for these basic sciences uh, modules and, and like content while I was also doing clinical rotations and focusing on like a way different form of medicine uh, for my medical school uh, progression, which was, you know, clinical exams, clinical content, and then going home and studying like, again, all these urea cycles and biochemistry and viral DNA mm. and all that kind of stuff. So it was tough, but I knew that logically it made sense and that I would be grateful for it in the long run. So yeah. um, I did that, but because I was in this whole, keep your options open, you're not sure if you want to go to America, I didn't um, give up trying to do well in my <clears throat> SJT and my decile scores mm. and my uh, AFP applications and white space questions, all these things which like people... People were under the impression like, okay, well, if you're doing what you step on, that means that you can't do this. And that means you can't do well in your SJT. That means you can't apply for AFP because it's going to take up too much time. But each of those things don't actually take up that much time. Like preparing for mm. your AFP interviews. I don't know what other people say on this subject to it more. Well, for me, it took, I did like two days, two days of prep mm. for it and, and I was fine. And the white yeah. space questions and answers, like some people take like a month to go write their white space answers for it, for AFP applications. But like I did them in a day because I only had a day. So like, I feel like mm. work yeah. expands all the time you have for it. And I didn't have That's much true. time for these exactly. things, but I still did them. So, um, <clears throat> so I did all of these things to be like, listen, you have to, assume you're staying in, in England for at least a couple of years and the only reason you're doing this this step one exam is so that later down the line if you want to go to America you can so I applied for my AFPs did my interviews everything and then as you mentioned I got that that offer from guys in St. Thomas St. Thomas's which was phenomenal like it was great because it was both years in uh, <clears throat> a big uh, center you know normally they have that policy where it's like one year in one year out where you one year out yeah yeah, yeah exactly and I, was, I really didn't want that. But in this specific AFP, it was both years across guys and St. Thomas's only. And uh, my like soon to be wife at the time, Shireen, uh, she mm. is obviously was obviously a student at King's College uh, London. So mm. we were like, oh, my God, this can be perfect. She'll be in her mm. final year. I'll be in F1 at guys and St. Thomas's. We were getting married like in September or October of that year in theory. So mm. it was going to be um, it was all going to work out perfect. And she was really excited for that. Yeah. And uh and then you know the, the, the u.s thing kind of and then you messed it all up man the key thing that i think changed all of it is that i went on my elective like you know we all do our electives and, and yeah different years, yeah but imperial it's in your final year so i did mm. my elective in um march and april no april and may of, of final year 
And by the mm-hmm. time I, I was going out on my elective, I already had my step one score back and um, not trying to flex it, but I done really well on my step my step one. Mm. So I You knew- smashed it, we know. We we actually <laughs> come on, you got you can't be humble. <laughs> Bro, so um it's yeah, um I want to talk about those the scores and breakdowns in a bit later, but yeah, um, go on. Yeah, I see. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, so we'll, we'll go into that in more detail. But generally, I, I knew I'd done well in the step one, and it was to the point where when I got my step one score back and I like told my family things about it, they were like, "Well, at this point, you have no choice. You're going to America because because they knew that like <laughs> the, the, the fact that I'd done well in that meant that I was so well set up to be able to potentially yeah. go to America. If I didn't, it yeah. would have been a waste of like an opportunity. So that that was one thing that had that was playing on my mind and then i went out on my elective in april may of that year as i mentioned and um a lot of people use their elective time to just go on vacation you know <laughs> i'm sure i'm not revealing anything to, to anyone here where you'll go on like an eight week elective to singapore but really you're doing an eight minute elective in the singapore hospital <laughs> and then bro and then we don't like, know hey, anything about that we, we well, definitely we've never heard of that <laughs> we went to malaysia <laughs> we, we, we... <laughs> Exactly. Right. It also did span a few yeah. minutes, <laughs> but exactly. let's not let's not let's not delve too much into that <laughs> now. Let's move let's move swiftly forward. Yeah. Let's just say there are some rumors that people are doing eight minute electives in in, uh, yeah. in Asia, and um, and yeah, then they're getting signed off and going on holidays and being on the beach yeah. and traveling and stuff, which is great for them. But I knew again this whole idea of like you have to keep your options open. In my head, I was like, I want to keep the option open of going to America. So one thing mm. that people might not realize, and I encourage people in your audience to think about this. If you're serious about potentially applying to the US long term, even if it's like after your F2 special training, whatever, mm-hmm. if you want to do that, really there, having clinical experience in the US and having letters of recommendation from US doctors mm. are almost essential to a strong application uh, to become a doctor in the US long term. So mm-hmm. you could even have very good scores, but if you've never done a clinical elective in the US and therefore never got letters of recommendation from a US doctor, it's going to be mm. a massive hit to your application. So mm. I thankfully knew that ahead of time because I, I, I've been doing a lot of research. So I knew mm. that, you know, I can think in my head, oh, I'm keeping my options open. But if I don't do an elective in the U.S. and if I decide mm. to go on holiday instead and do traveling like everyone else, really, I haven't kept that door open for myself because I've made myself no. a significantly yeah. weaker candidate by not doing that. So any one of you out there who is even toying with the idea of the U.S., same as me, I wasn't convinced, but I was toying with the idea of going to the U.S., make sure you make use of your elective like it's going to seem mm. like a pain in the backside while you're doing it because um i was out there like waking up at like 6am and going into the hospital to pre-round and then i was on like instagram and seeing everyone like snapping their stories <laughs> from the beach and traveling and like getting yeah. like ten thousand dollars worth of suits made in vietnam for ten dollars and like all yeah. these all these yeah. things that are plastic <laughs> classic medical student journey on your elective yeah i was missing out on all of that and i was actually doing a real elective and and you know at the time you can feel like oh man like i'm really missing out the foam was real mm. all this kind of stuff but um it's no exaggeration for me to say that like that elective changed my entire life because yeah firstly i went out there and i saw what it was actually like on the ground so like i saw what mm. u.s hospitals were like i saw what the work of u.s doctors was like and I spoke to them and found out what their opinions were on being doctors. And after that point, there there was no going back. Like it was to mm. the point where when I was leaving New York at the end of my one month there, um, mm. I left a, half a suitcase of clothes <clears throat> with a new oh, friend wow. that, that I'd met there because I was so sure I would be back. Like think about that. Yeah. Think about the level mm. of certainty like I would have had to achieve that month to be like, oh, mm. I, I don't mind leaving half this stuff here because like there's no you way this back. is the end. Like I, yeah, I will be back. Like no. so that. Yeah completely changed my experience and from that point on i was like you know what forget like 
forget anything else like i i need to just get to the us like there's there's no there's no point slowing myself down so in, initially my plan had been i'm going to do my f1 at least right to become gnc mm. registered because um yeah for anyone mm. who's listening who doesn't understand what that means it's kind of like a required internship in order to actually be seen as a doctor in in the uk is you finish your medical school and you get a kind of like a provisional registration with the general medical council which is the person the, the board that you know certifies people as being uh real doctors and then you only become fully registered with the gmc once you've completed your f1 your first year of training so mm-hmm. it's a similar concept in other countries like pakistan and india they call it an internship over there where they don't even get their medical degree often until they finish their one year internship mm-hmm. um so it's similar for, for us here in the uk so my plan had always been i'm gonna do my f1 i've got an afp guys in st thomas's will be with shireen after we're married like that's great so i'm still mm-hmm. gonna do my f1 then uh, when I was in the US, I just happened to make contacts with a lot of people that um, were really like good to me at the time. So I met a program director uh, in dermatology in New York who we got on really well. And by the end of our conversation, he was basically like, what are you doing next year? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing my you know F1 year, my first year of uh, uh, being a doctor in England. And he was like, all right, do you want to <clears throat> work in England long term or do you want to work in the US long term? And I was like, the US long term. And he mm. said, all right, well, then forget that job. Come work with me. So he just so, said that wow. straight up, like straight up after our 10-minute conversation. Um, he came out and said that and was like, you know, it'll give you a chance to, to come over. Like, we'll get to know you better. You apply When you apply for the match, like, you'll be here in the U.S. while you're applying for residency training. And mm. if it's what you're serious about, like, I think it's a good opportunity. Think about it. So that, that sounds like I an mean, American thing to say. That sounds, Am I wrong? Or does that not sound like... Yeah, do you know what? Leave that. Come he here, got mate. given the American dream. <laughs> Come work with me. That, is that an American thing? I'm just assuming, bro. But just, just confirm that for me before we move on. 100%, man. The pe- people in America are built different. I'm telling you, the UK... Yeah. In the UK, like, that would never happen. In the UK, there'd be like a 50-step yeah. process that you have to follow. And each yeah, yeah. definitely. Like rigid and maybe five years down the mm. line, you reach that point where they can give you a job. In America, <laughs> one conversation changes anything. Like they don't wow, follow rules in that sense. Like they are literally so spontaneous and so willing to like go for wow. things. And um, yeah. it's amazing. It, it, it's one of the big like uh, things that attracted me towards it. Uh, we can talk about it a little bit more later, but I'm also interested in like the health tech side of things and mm-hmm. the readiness which they're willing to move on an innovation here as compared to mm. my experiences over there in the NHS is also crazy. Like I, it just made me so much more excited to, to, to come out here and, and work here instead. So he yeah. kind of threw that curveball in there and said, all right, forget that job, come work with me. So mm. I was like, um, you know, like FaceTiming Shireen, we were talking, she's crying, I'm crying. <laughs> Mainly she's crying, but like, you know, talking about like, oh, <laughs> Why were you crying? <laughs> yeah, I, I, You've I got an another... <laughs> fake cry. <laughs> Um, so, so we were talking and, you know, she was saying, well, you know, we're about to like get our nikah, which is the Islamic marriage, like in in October, we were supposed Mm. to be like, um, you know, maybe get an apartment again, all this kind of stuff. And now you could be going to America and like, Mm. she obviously still had two more years of medical school. So the the main issue was that we would potentially be going into long distance for two years. Um, and obviously that's a big thing, especially because we'd been, uh, you know, counting down the days for when we wouldn't, uh, where we would actually be able to get married and, and, and you know, live and all those kind of things. And then to put this in out of nowhere was uh, was a big surprise. So initially I even said to him, he had told me, come work with me in an unpaid like research capacity. And that sounds like a hustle, but a lot of people, um, including American students, have to do unpaid research fellowships for certain very mm-hmm. competitive uh, specialties. Like we're talking, you know, the orthopedics, dermatology, plastic surgeries, those kind of ones. Yeah. 
So yeah. for an international graduate, that that's completely to be expected, and you're still lucky. You're lucky even to get an opportunity for a free research choice like that, because U.S. Mm. students get it more typically. So he had told me that. So after Shreen and I had been talking and we'd gone back and forth, we were like, right, you know what? Let me see if I can just like, like delay this job by a year and ask him like, listen, let me do one more year, and uh, mm. in England, and then can I have the same like? Offer from you in a year's time mm. because that way it would only be one year till Shreen was finished, and I could like you know get fully GNC yeah. registered, all those kind of things. So I uh -huh. called him up and I was like, "Listen, thank you so much for the offer. That's so kind of you, blah blah." But like, um, I can't afford it. Like I was using, I, I mean, it would have been tough to afford, but like I'm sure like my family mm. would have probably been willing to help. But I tried to use that as an excuse. Mm. I was like, yeah. "I can't afford to move to America without any kind of like you know income." Uh, so is there any way like let me work in England for a year? I'll save up money and then I'll come back and do this job. So straight away, like in a flash on the phone, he was like, what if we paid you? Like straight oh, away. Instant. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like I just told him the only reason I can't <laughs> take the money. Like I don't want him to think I'm not like passionate about this. Because he'll just be like, right, forget this guy. Like I've given him like great chances. He's not interested. He's an international guy of who course. wants to do dermatology. And I'm here like offering him things and he's still saying no. So I, I basically, yeah. when he said, what if I paid you? I was like, well... In that case, of course. Case. Like, <laughs> yeah. Where do I sign? Where... <laughs> exactly. He's like, I'm going to shift over the other half of my suitcase. It'll be there before <laughs> exactly. I do. So then I called Shreen back and I was like, listen, this will happen. You offered to pay me, blah, blah. So at that point, we were like, right. I always have this line where I'm like, I'm not one to like fight destiny. Like if it looks to me like mm. God is pushing me in a certain path, then yeah. I'm not going to mm. fight it like that. For me, mm. that was a sign that, like, you know, if all of these things have come together, there's a program director of a uh, dermatology residency program in New York at Mount Sinai, which is like a very prestigious institution, um, is offering me this opportunity to come do a paid research fellowship as an IMG and then apply for residency. Like, I can't, I can't turn that down at that point. Mm. So then, that's why basically, after having had the AFP, after been planning on, you know, starting there, everything, you know, laying my foundations for for doing my F1 year training. After that job offer came through, it basically changed everything. And then um, when it became real and I got the actual offer for it, everything, and we started talking about visa things, that's when I then contacted uh, the guys in Tommy's like, uh, trust and told them I won't be mm. signing my job, just FYI, here's my resignation. And they were like, are you all right? Like, what, are you how was that? Yeah, tell us about that. What was the, was the kickback? They, <laughs> they probably they, never had that in the last 100 years or so, bro. Like. They had to make new guidelines for, for Dr. Osama. Like, like, guys, what do we do? <laughs> they, they weren't very happy. And the people who were, who, were, who were less happy than them was my own medical school. So they, the, I had to tell my medical school, obviously. And they were like, yeah. um, they seriously thought I'd had some kind of breakdown. Like, I had to go have a meeting with the head of the medical school. And, oh, uh, wow. oh my God. and I, had to go, I had to go talk to him. Because they were basically saying that I, I think they cared about the fact that I was ruining their stats. Because you know how it says like 100% of our graduates went on to start their F1 training or whatever, yeah. right? Oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. People try and brag about that. So for me, it was like 99.5% of our... Yeah. You, you dropped them to below five. Kings, man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly, man. They took a hit. They took a hit when they took yeah. me. So then I, I had to go speak to them because of that. And the guy was like, I strongly, strongly advise you, like, you know, to do your F1 year training and, like, it mm. will give you more mm. security. And if you don't do that, you're not a fully certified, uh, fully registered doctor. And, you know, this guy in America is telling you all this stuff, but what if he's, like, lying to you and... Yeah. It's a big risk to take because if you go and, and he was like, you know, offers will come and go like you don't you don't have to jump at this offer. So, you know, I was actually on really good terms with him because his, his name is Martin Lupton. He's no longer the head of Imperial, but he was back then. And um, mm -hmm. 
we were we were like we spoke quite regularly before then like we actually used to have deep discussions about like religion and philosophy and things like that because oh, he's wow, a really cool guy cool. and i'd like yeah. met him quite a few times so that made it easier because you know at that point when i explained my side of things he was like listen Simon, like i know you're being thoughtful about this and i i trust that you know you're going to do what's right for you so it's okay it's okay don't worry about it we just wanted to make sure that you were doing the right thing so it ended up being okay but it was yeah completely and i completely see where they're coming from and i appreciate even the fact that they tried to you know give me that extra time to make sure the fact that med schools are kind of looking out for their students and kind of making sure because there are, and I'm sure it does happen where people are making snap decisions, you know, they may see stuff on Instagram, they may see a yeah. YouTube video here, you know, American doctors are making an X amount of year and all of a sudden you'd be like, do you know what, I'm throwing all in the bin, I want to go to America and not have anything lined up. Exactly. Um, so the fact that the med schools yeah. are doing their due diligence and kind of looking out for us, is, to be fair, it's quite reassuring to hear. Yeah, yeah, and I actually really appreciate it. And even like his points were completely accurate. Like the, the points he made that like, this guy has told you he's giving you this, what if you go over there and work for a year and then they just like, they don't take you for residency or you don't match in residency, yeah, then what? Then you're gonna have to come back and take your SAT again and reapply again and you might, you're definitely not gonna get an ASP again, chances are. So like, mm-hmm. there was all this, uh, like all of his points were completely fair and I knew it was a risk. But in terms of what I wanted my long-term future to look like, I knew that I wouldn't mm-hmm. like forgive myself if, Having had an opportunity like this, I squandered it. And then in the future, when I was trying to apply for dermatology residency in America, everyone was just like, no way, obviously no way. Like, you know, it's like the most yeah, competitive no, specialty yeah. even for American grads. So like, how can an international try and apply to this? So um, so I knew that, you know, it was a risk worth taking for me. But once again, I really appreciate Imperial, everyone uh, doing their like their, their best to make sure that I was, you know, taking the right decision. Hmm. And it was a, it was a huge risk, right? So like I, I myself felt like, of oh course. my god, like it's a big leap. It's a big leap I'm taking here. But um, let's see how things go. And I feel like you know that God is pushing me in this direction, so I'm going to go with it and see what happens. And you know, thankfully now I'm sitting here almost at the end of my residency training, and I can look back, be like, oh yeah, I was right, blah blah. All those people telling me, those haters telling me this, like you know. But that's not mm-hmm. what it is. Like they were all making completely fair points and I took the calculated risk and in my case the risk paid off but I always tell people even UK students now um, if you're not like 100% sure that that's all you want to do you should do your F1 year of training like I tell people Mm. all the time because it's much easier to come back when you were fully Mm. registered uh, in the GMC and you finish your F1 it's much easier to come back and uh, get like the F2 post and do get your competency signed off and then apply for specialty training than it is to have never done your F1 and to have to come back and try and apply for an F1 and do your SJTs. Yeah. That's way more difficult. So to this day, I'll tell people mm. like, don't don't necessarily do what I did. Mine was a special circumstance mm. in that I had like a time sensitive offer that I couldn't turn down, which is why I didn't do my F1. But everyone else, mm. do your F1s even if you're sure you want to go to the US. <laughs> most in most of your cases, no. it's better for you to do your F1s. No, definitely. And I think it was a, if you kind of take a step back, it was a logical, well-informed decision. Um, nothing, you know, I think there were spur of the moment bits in there, but as in like, it was, you, you knew where you wanted to be long-term and you kind of took the necessary yeah. actions to do it, um, which exactly, is obviously yeah. something important and mindful to be able going on to. Uh, going back to when you were talking about sort of, the monetary difference between this country and America. When I speak to a lot of doctors, I kind of hear that the phrase of we're being overworked and underpaid. And when I, whenever I would ask, oh, what if you were paid that difference? Would that make mm. you happy? And they would and they would say, yeah, you know, it, it actually would. Um, but right now, their morale is low because of the pay being so, so the, yeah. the difference in pay being so significant. Does better comp- financial compensation 
boost morale and what's it like in the US in terms of morale? So, so it's uh, it's it's good on the whole. So I actually like as, as part of the, the you know the Liberty Medics thing that we can talk more about later on. There's um, mm. there's a uh, a free article actually that people can can see even on our website, which is just libertymedics.com, which it which talks specifically about like you know how uh, how much do doctors in the U.S. make or something to that effect. And in that even there's mm-hmm. like some objective like data survey results where they speak to. Uh, doctors from different specialties and it asks them like do you feel like you are fairly compensated and mm. even in like you know when you when you ask that question everyone is kind of like oh, i should be paid more like almost everyone thinks they should be paid more about how <laughs> yeah, much they're being true. paid yeah but the numbers the numbers of people who feel like they're fa- fairly compensated in the u.s in terms of doctors are like above 50 percent. and in some specialties it's like 60 70 80 percent of people feel like they're fairly compensated oh, wow. I, I would That's guess amazing. that if you did a survey in England and asked doc- how many doctors feel they're fairly compensated, you might get 1% of people. Who <laughs> say you won't even get double digits. You would not even hit yeah, double digits, yeah. bro. And, and I would say those, those people are completely right. And and, and and that's not just me saying things to try and like, you know, radicalize people to like want to leave. I'm just saying <laughs> that like, objectively speaking, um, there are there are obviously uh, reasons behind it, and the main reason behind it is that the NHS is a public service sector. Like, it's not a private company; mm. it's a public service sector, and because of that, there's so much good that comes from the NHS, and so much good in the way that it's structured. All of that 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 is is true, but you know something has to give in that kind of model. Something has to give, and the thing that gives in England is doctor pay. Doctor pay mm. and work conditions are, are sacrificed for the sake of the greater good. And if people go into it with that mentality and they're willing to do that, great. Like that that's very admirable, you know, good for you. But that that's the reason why when you compare it to these private sector colleagues of yours who have um, yeah. used their skills in other areas, like as I mentioned, law, finance, you know, even accounting, even dentistry, where you know the teeth should count as part of healthcare, but somehow we're okay with the fact that most dental care is private, you know, and you only get yeah. covered <laughs> like after the age of eighteen. Um, so those people get paid what their work is truly worth, which is on the free mm. market, more like you know in the private sector. As doctors in England, we don't get paid what our work is worth. We get paid mm. whatever there is in the budget to be able to afford. True. And yeah. what there is to be able to afford is very little, right? So that means that mm. for the level of skill you put in, for the level of hours you work, for the importance of the work that you do, you are not objectively fairly compensated as compared to someone else. So, um, so I completely get where that burnout comes from. And I would feel exactly the same way if I was there, especially, I mean, I think, I think in light of the pandemic, I think that's something which has made this resonate with me even more. The fact that like when push came to shove and the whole world was falling apart and people were risking their lives and everything was, was going mm. wrong in society and people were scared. A lot of people, you know, stayed home. Like a lot of other professionals, like could work from home. A lot of other people would just take paid leave and, and the, you know, the government of could course. subsidize their income. But the people who didn't have a choice was the healthcare workers, right? It was the doctors mm-hmm. who even even before we truly knew what the lethality rate of this virus was, even before we knew what the long-term effects were, doctors had to show up because our work is truly essential. It is truly, mm. truly essential, right? So it, with that being said, you know, isn't it isn't it fair for people who are in that position, for people who yeah. sacrifice themselves in that way for of the course. greater good of society? to be rewarded, mm. you know, proportionate to the value of their work. And in England, you are just not. So I think no. um, I completely see, see where that where that comes from. And for those people who are still like, no, but I believe in the NHS as a model. And I believe in the fact that, you know, it's it's uh, it's serving the public in a greater sense. 
that that is fantastic and that is true and in that sense you have to see your professional life as a doctor half as mm. a professional so assume you're getting paid for half your time as a professional and half of it you're doing as an active kind of like uh, philanthropy like a little bit like you're, you're yeah. just doing like yeah. volunteer work because that is mm. basically mm. what you're doing in england is your half the day is being paid proportionate to what it should be and your other half yeah. the day is you working free out of goodwill yeah that's a very good way that's to put that, it yeah, i true. think one of as in obviously these discussions are rife especially among juniors and seniors in like yeah. you know that the disparity of what we thought would be paid as doctors and it's it's so easy to get caught up in in the in the novelty of being a doctor it's until you graduate and realize you've got expenses and responsibilities then you're like crap yeah. i don't earn no way as enough as my mate who's at jp or goldman um, exactly yeah. and the the common theme that arises and it's being a doctor is amazing and it doesn't matter where in the world you are it's such a noble amazing profession the fact is where you do it so being a doctor yeah. is amazing but doing it in the uk maybe isn't so much so mm. um, and that seems to be the common case having kind yeah. of experienced kind of clinics spoken to doctors on the floor here in the uk and comparing it to your experience in the uk um in america um for people that are kind of toying with the ideas what are kind of some of the pros and what are some of the cons what have you noticed that this is amazing and then what are things you miss you know from london yeah come on tell us some things that are negative man america looks <laughs> too amazing i'm signing up now to how, the liberty how, how's course. life in the in the big apple is that how i say it the big apple is, is that correct tell us some things that are bad come so on tell, tell us the pros and cons i think it's only fair um you know as us kind of uh, picking your brains for our listeners of course, of course, yeah. uh, tell us both sides of this coin bro sure so um so the 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 pros and cons so Again, this is something which, which like we, we spent like a massive part of the course at the beginning even. And this isn't a plug for it. This is just to say that like it's such a huge topic and I think it's the most mm, important topic. So a lot of people have these ideas of what pros and cons are. And so many of them are like misconceptions. And I think it, th that's why, you know, unapologetically, like so much of the course at the beginning is about making up your mind. So a lot of the people, like I remember people came to our in-person courses, which is how Liberty Medics used to run. And mm. some people at the end of it would be like, you know what, like having known everything I know now, um, I think it's not for me. Like, I think going to America is not for me because of like the, what the whole journey involves. And I would be like, yeah. mate, that is like the best, whatever it was at the time, like money you've ever spent coming to today because I've just saved you months and months of like pointless work and years of effort because now you know with your eyes open that that's not something that's right for you. So yeah. I think mm -hmm. that like, it's so important to know what the pros and cons are because uh, it's fundamental to everything else. The journey is long and difficult. And if you don't have a compelling reason why you're doing it, you're going to get disheartened and give up. Whereas if you mm. know when you do your logical calculation of the pros and cons, that it makes sense for you to make the move, no matter how difficult it is and how many obstacles that come in your way, you're going to have mm. that like solid foundation of, no, I did that, just, uh, that, that, you know, the cold, hard calculations and I know that it makes sense for me to move. So one way or another, I'm going to do it. So that all mm. that's to say is just like the pros and cons are really important. And, um, the, the, a lot of the let, let's start with the cons i guess to give a bit of balance because i feel like i've, I've, I've done a lot i know you've been, been banging on about it too much bro. yeah man you know? yeah yeah it's not fair I we're know. gonna have to rein it in now <laughs> exactly so let's talk about the cons so moving to america obviously the number one con uh, of of the the process uh is like the difficulty of it truly because because right now in england no matter what as a medical student no matter what's going on no matter how tough you might think it is like applying for f1 mm. getting your your you know performance score and your sjt and everything you know pretty much that just carrying on the path in front of you the well-worn path in front of you you will be an f1 somewhere in a couple of years and you know mm. that like in f1 training no matter how like or in specialty training no matter how many 
like different routes you go down somewhere down the line 10 years down the line as a uk medical student grad you will get a job as a consultant in the uk somewhere and really yeah. you don't even have yeah. to be outstanding like if you're very picky about where you want to work and you're doing a particular specialty then yeah you have to do phds and publications and audits all those kind of mm -hmm. things but if you don't mind being a gp somewhere wherever there's an availability you can mm -hmm. chill and you can coast and you can get your passing yeah. mark in every um mm -hmm. In every exam and that's all you need to do mm. and you will have a good life you'll do your gp training after your f1 f2 years so five years out of medical school you can be earning like a you know a solid amount like 100k or something like a, a mm. money mm. if you're in a partnership somewhere and you can have a good comfortable life so that pathway even though like it might not sound that exciting it is like reliable you could like you know like nail that to the door and say that is what my life will look like in five six years time if i carry on the path in front of me and it's not that difficult if you decide to do this different path and try and go towards the US, you are inviting like years and years of extra hardship and uncertainty on yourself as compared to your colleagues. Mm. So I say this from experience because in my whole group of friends, there was about 10 of us actually, like a very close group of 10 of us. And um, I'm the only one who moved to the US. All of the rest of them stayed in England. And mm. that meant that every step of the way, like when I'm out there trying to like kill myself to study for my step one exams, they're at Nando's. When I'm like, you know, <laughs> uh, when I'm going on my elective, doing a real elective there in Singapore on the beach, mm. when I'm like uh, unsure what's going to happen with the match and doing residency interviews, they've all like been allocated whatever F1, F2 jobs they have, even though they might not love them, like they've got them securely, they know they have a job. Mm, yeah. I'm not even sure if I have a job the next year. So throughout mm. like this entire process, your friends who stay in England will have a very clear path in front of them that is very reliable and you are constantly going to be living in this world of uncertainty of exams of needing to prove yourself when it comes to interview trails you know you're fighting an uphill battle because as uk medical students we're like uk medical students when we're applying mm. for jobs and that's fine when you're applying to the us you're counted as an international medical graduate or an img so automatically you're not on a level playing field against the US's own grads. And so you're always out there to try and prove a point as to why you are as good as them. So you start on like a negative, that's tough. So all of that, like that whole process and the complicated nature of that process, let alone like the expenses of it. Now we, we also ha have an article free on our website, which talks about mm. how expensive the process is to apply to the US. And there are a lot of costs involved in it. There are exams, multiple of them. It's the step one is famous, but there's a step one. There's two step two exams. There's a step three exam. Each of oh, those wow, exams wow. cost cost money, and um, they cost like over a thousand dollars per exam. So and how then, much would it be in its entirety, just for like um, just to stop you there, because I yeah, think yeah, these things do make a difference to people and. Before they kind of go ahead and look at the Liberty Medics, it'd just be good just to get them an insight. How course, much, yeah. you know? So, so again, I encourage them to check out the article because I'm, I'm quoting things off the top of my head right now. And the article is completely okay. free. So like, like that, that's okay, why that's we fine. wanted to make that information mm. completely free for people because I don't want anyone to commit to a process which they can't see it through to, right? Because of financial reasons. So ultimately, mm. including exams, if you're doing a clinical elective, which means you're also going to be, you know, coming out to the US, paying for flights, paying for accommodation for, for the month when you're out in the US typically. And then when it comes to the interview trail. So this year, the interview trail has all been on Zoom because of COVID. So people have actually saved a bunch of money. So they're lucky. But if you if you are a pretty successful applicant later down the line when you're applying, you have to fly to all the different cities where, where your interviews might be and like, you know, pay for accommodation and things. So all of that being said, like it can easily get close to $10,000 easily, if not more oh, than wow. that, depending, okay. depending on like how many interviews, how many electives, all these kind of things. Now you can... Um, 
be really smart with it and like you know make sure that you're like living on a shoestring on your elective and like get really cheap flights that connect through like five countries and like i'm sure you could do it in a way where like you could bring it down to just the cost of the exams and the tuition fees in which case it would be closer to like you know five thousand dollars or six thousand dollars but that's a big chunk of money so that is also something which you know i always tell people listen like it's an investment like trust me it's an investment because however big ten thousand dollars seems to you right now like will mm. be a spec compared to like what ultimately it will be worth for you to move there but a lot of, of people can't front end financially right they don't have that flexibility mm. to be able to do that mm. um the other caveat i give to people is that like although that seems like a very big and intimidating figure the only time i realized that's how much it all cost was when i was going back and doing my calculations for the course because the money goes in like drips and drabs right like you're never paying a lump sum of like 5k or 10k or anything mm. you're always paying like a K for that exam, which is a big hit, but it's not like, you know, 5K or 10K at once. And then the next exam, you probably won't pay for for another like seven, eight months. Then you need to pay for another exam, et cetera, et cetera. And the elective fees, yeah, you know, your uh, uh, elective fees and your accommodation is going to cost money. But if you hadn't done the US journey, you would have actually still spent that money on an elective somewhere else, right? Like this, all of my friends spent thousands of dollars on their electives as well on traveling. So it's not that like, you would otherwise have kept that money, you probably would have spent on something else. So, you know, giving all these caveats, but there's no getting around the fact that one massive con of the entire process is the expense and uncertainty of it. And I think mm. a clear indication of that is like, how many UK like students do you know who at some point in your medical school career, like floated the idea, like, you know what, like what, what if I went to the US? Maybe mm. we should go to the US boys. Like I'd say about like 50 to 60% of medical students have at some point toyed with that idea of like, you know, yeah. could I go to the US? Yeah. And if you had offered those people, like, click your fingers and I will guarantee you a residency program in the US right now, do you want to mm. do it? So many of them would have been like, yes, like, yeah, fine. Mm. Like, I'll, like, of course, like the reason they don't want to do it is because it's expensive in the exams, right? So mm-hmm, I think um, those are, that's clearly a very big con of the process. Um, the other con of it, I think that people should always be very wary of is moving away from family, right? So that is something which like, it's no joke, right? Like, you know, for, like, it's a big thing some people think like oh it's sentimental it's fine it's not a big deal Mm. like you know but you have to think about what that means for you like if you're like a good friend of mine his name is uh hash uh he was my friend from imperial he lives in Mm. slough it's like extended family lives in slough he's like was born in slough and he'll probably die in slough like when he's much older exactly he loves slough like he, he for him that is his life he loves his comfort zone there like and given a choice like he would just settle there long term because he loves it there right you've got deep roots mm. there mm. when you have deep roots like that like that's incredibly valuable in its own ways right like it comes with its own positives you um feel comfortable you know how things work you have your family support network around you later down the line if you're married you have kids or something you have a free babysitting network all those kind of things like <laughs> yeah you you have a little uh, setup for yourself right and that's not to be taken lightly and people who have that kind of setup and think like oh cool i'll go to america they, I'm sure they will feel homesick after a couple of months because residency is hard. Exactly, right? You, like th- that's how it is for some people. So you have to think about your family situation, and you have to think about whether it's easy for you to uproot your life. Some people have elderly parents that they need to care for. Some people have family responsibilities. Those are all things that are um, real factors. And I encourage everyone, like, listen, don't take this lightly. Like, this is a big step in the journey. If you start the process of taking your step one exam. Think about what that means later down the line. Don't take your step one exam if when push comes to shove three or four years down the line, you can't leave your family because the, the, what was the point, right? You literally put yourself through all this hassle and yeah. uh, and you couldn't actually finish it off. 
So think about that in advance. For me, it was a slightly different situation. Like my um, my parents, so my dad, as I mentioned, is a doctor. But when I started university, my dad moved to Abu Dhabi to work as a doctor mm-hmm. there. So um, he was there. And my eldest brother, after he finished his F1 in St. Mary's, he moved to Canada because he married a Canadian girl and he went off and, and is a doctor in Canada now. So... Mm-hmm. In our family, like this idea of like being an international family was totally normal. Like for us, mm. like our reunions, like I would describe it as a like a a uh, distant intimacy. Like we are geographically like distant, but we're always talking to each other. We're always on mm. on Skype and FaceTime and yeah. Skype and all those things. Mm. So even if we don't physically see each other, we've never felt that sense, and we're very comfortable. We're like evolved mm. to find that completely normal. So for mm. me, it was like the most natural thing in the world that like. If I get a good job off of somewhere else in the U.S., that's no big deal. Like, you know, I have a brother in Canada. My parents are in Abu Dhabi. I'll be in New York. One brother will be in England. So what? That's just like how life is for us. And we reunite yeah. and we have a great time. And like, that's fine. So that's fine. a really important yeah. thing that you mentioned. And it reminds me, exactly. I got my foundation training close to where you grew up in, in Coventry. Mm-hmm. Man, I used to cry every Sunday when I used to go back. And I'm the type of guy, like, yeah. I would come back, <laughs> like, for four hours. Um, just going to yeah. spend time with my friends and family and go back. And that was like hour and a half on the train to imagine to go to like i knew like for me like going to america canada australia all of these amazing countries i'm like nah mate i can't do it i can barely survive an hour half from home and that homesick it is such an awful awful feeling because i've been there where you're stuck by yourself you know and it's lonely and you think man like nothing is worth it so i'm glad you mentioned that and it kind of makes sense yeah when you kind of describe your family nature and the way you grew up that this is kind of the norm and it's normality. Um, so yeah, that is something that shouldn't be taken lightly for sure. 100%. And this is what I tell people. I'm like, even, you know, like, even though I'm part of this company and we try and inform people about moving to the US or whatever, like, I have no vested interest in anyone actually deciding to go to the US. Like, if every single person who subscribed to the course decided that they don't want to go to the US, I'm even more happy for them that I've saved them unnecessary hassle, right? Like, no, so for me... And for everything we approach in this course, like there's no sales pitch because like no US program is giving us commission if we actually nah. make people <laughs> move. Like all we're trying to do is make sure that people have their eyes open to all of the factors, right? Like it's it's so important because you don't want this these kind of points to only hit you when you're one year down the line in the process. So it, that is a huge con and even to this day if you speak to my wife when it comes to like Eid which you know like a religious celebration she'll miss her family a lot because she'll see photos of them together on Eid and we'll be out here in America and yeah, that's yeah. a situation where you know all praise and gratitude to God like we love our lives out here in New York we're having an incredible time we've made so many friends we have so many experiences but even then there are those days especially like family occasions where um, mm. we reflect and my wife will end up really missing home so mm. those are the kind of things which I want like the listeners to think about if you're there toying with this decision think of that through like clearly are you one of those families where it's completely normal like in my family we joke that we're economic migrants like my dad's like i'm an economic migrant i moved to england when it made sense to me i moved to abu dhabi when it made sense to me you guys moved to <laughs> i love your dad please send him my regards please do send him my regards just say there's a guy called abdul who's also a doctor in london in some i don't know <laughs> who lives in camden he loves you. Just, just tell him that, bro. Can I can I leave yeah, that with you? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll, I'll deliver that. So he's uh, he always says that. So for me, it's always the same. When I told him about my job, he's like, "Of course, move to America. Like you're an economic migrant. Economically, move there. That's how it is." So um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's the other con I'd say. And then um, let me think of another con. I mean, people talk about this whole like you know working in a private healthcare system, and that's something which I think is actually really important to to talk about mm. because. Um, 
there's this idea, and even for me, like when I used to talk about the idea of going to the US, it felt almost like, ooh, like that's that's a dirty thing he's saying. Like, look oh, look down at him. Upon. Like, mm. <laughs> look at this guy. Like, he doesn't care about like um, <laughs> a money-hungry doctor. Oh, exactly, exactly. That's like, and and even when you speak to like the senior colleagues in the UK or whatever, that's the most common response you'll get from them is like, oh, well, you know, good luck working in the private healthcare system, or like, oh, I guess you know. That, that, like when a guy gets hit by a car, they'll come and check his insurance card first before they take yeah. him. Like you know, there's all these all like jokes. Yeah. notions yeah. that you hear, and uh, that does have a big impact on people, right? Like that, I can't tell you how many medical students or doctors I speak to, and um, they all say to me like, you know what? I I could just never work in a system like the US. I could never work in a private system. Like it it seems so unethical. Like I could just never do it. And like mm. there's a sense of kind of like a moral superiority with being in a system which is a public healthcare model and um i'm not saying that like public healthcare models are bad i i hugely respect the nhs and what they do but from the years of experience i've had in both healthcare systems i think it's it's hilarious to see how they view each other so in the same way that like when i was in england and i'd mention america there would be all these stereotypes where people are like oh my mm. god i could never work there it's so hard it's whatever I'm in the U.S. now, and in the U.S., there's like big debates all the time about the way the healthcare system is structured. And you speak to people on the streets, and they'll be like, "Wait, do you want a socialized healthcare model like in Europe?" Oh my God, no way! Like, no, <laughs> never like they literally they look at Europe. I can imagine that, yeah. Europe, mm. And England, England looks at America and feels sorry for America. And like, it's yeah. funny because the two people are like, "That's the scare story." Like, you know, Fox News or like it's the equivalent of the Daily Mail, yeah. right? In like uh, England, mm. Fox News is like scare stories will be like the Democrats want european style socialized medicine and everyone will like panic and be like no like oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary no but like, i think that the, is the case yeah yeah i i just think like it's important for people to realize that like you may think that a public healthcare model is clearly the, the morally superior uh, way to do things and that like you feel sorry for the people in america and like you know i could never go work in a system like that but realize that like for them they would never want your system, and for them, they're completely happy. Can you with imagine yeah. if we're all out here crying for the Americans, and lo and behold, they're then they're feeling sorry for us. So jokes on yeah. us. <laughs> exactly, and and, and the, the criticisms they give, it's not just that they're brainwashed. The criticisms they give is, listen, in in socialized healthcare models, your wait times are longer. You can't yeah. see a specialist uh, unless you wait a long time, and you have to get referred by multiple providers. You have ac- you have less access to brand new medications. They come to you much slower, and uh, like your ability to actually get them is uh, delayed by significantly because there are like yeah. uh, really strict guidelines on how you can get them, and. Um, the all of those things like even in terms of what the hospitals look like they'll say like have you seen what those hospitals look like in england like oh my god i would never be caught in one of those <laughs> yeah. and all of those things right like those are not lies like i i have seen what the uk healthcare system is like absolutely true the wait times for procedures and for specialist referrals are very high access to yeah, medicine yeah. I, there's medicines here as a dermatologist that i can prescribe for a patient like instantly which in england they would have to take another medicine which has like way worse side effects for six, seven months before they would be entitled to get the medicine that I can give my patients here on day one. Now, if you're talking about like moral superiority in situations, I have a much clearer conscience when I can give a patient a medicine that I know is the best thing for them over here. Whereas in England, I have my hands tied in a lot of senses, Mm, right? I'm not saying that this is a better system. It has its downsides as well. Mm. Access to care, disparities in healthcare, all of those things. All I'm saying is that like, uh, there are legitimate pros and cons of both sides of the system. Yeah, of and the yeah. key thing is, 
the American people have chosen this system for themselves because they prefer it. They believe in the yeah. free market like deeply in their bones and mm. they believe in competition and they believe that that leads to better outcomes. They don't want the government to be the only one running something because they don't trust the government to be the only one running anything. Mm, yeah. They think that the government has inefficiencies. They don't know how to spend their money. They don't respond well to people's feedback. And all of those points are true as well. So like, I just think that, um, if that's something playing on your mind that like I could oh those poor Americans whatever just know that they think you're the poor English person and like <laughs> they don't need your sympathy because every time they've been given the opportunity to vote for European style healthcare so there's a you know prominent Democratic candidate called Bernie Sanders and he was running on a public healthcare uh, like platform like he was saying we should have one government run uh, healthcare system and uh he did not win <laughs> so like like they have they have the ability to vote this kind of thing into reality if they want it and they've chosen to not have it so don't feel like yeah. you know uh sorry for them this is their choice and they're right in some senses and you're right in some senses that's that's kind no, of my of own, my yeah. own take on it that's that's a fair fair thing yeah. Say, saying that osama in terms of mm-hmm. now so we everyone debates this and thinks about it in the in the private in the private market in terms of mm-hmm. litigation culture do you feel yeah. like as practicing as a doctor in the US you are always thinking about am I going to be in the courts because that's what a lot of Brits talk about oh if I go over there to practice as a clinician I always have to think about I'm going to oh, get sued I, yeah I'm going to get sued if I if I don't cure yeah. them or fix them ASAP so, so so it's definitely on your mind I mean like but like malpractice is something which which is real and uh, I I would I would say that both in the UK and the US from my experience of it so many mm. times when people are writing notes they're writing notes for themselves and also in theory for like a future courtroom. Like I think everyone is covering yeah. their back always, whether that's in England or in America. I've always mm. seen this style of like defensive medicine. Um, the malpractice side of things as well, I think that's a really huge misconception, which we're actually going to have a new, we're going to free article on our website very soon in the next week or so about mm. malpractice coverage awesome. in, in England, uh, sorry, in America. And um, it's something which is offered in close to 90% of like consultant contracts. It's included. So people have this idea that like, yeah, you make a lot of money, but do you know how much you spend on your malpractice? Like you spend so much that like it makes the money like basically not worth it. But mm. that's a huge misconception. Like 90% of contracts have it already included. You pay nothing for it. Um, yeah. And I'm like about to sign a contract in the next couple of weeks, probably for like my first job as a consultant in uh, America. And um, even uh, in that contract, my malpractice coverage is included in there. And it's like a, something called a occurrence-based policy where like, if something happens while I have this job, even if somebody sued me like 20 years down the line for something that happened, um, my yeah. policy here would cover it. So oh, even amazing, in theory, yeah. if you're concerned about my practice, like you coverage is built into it because the system is evolved to make sure that like uh, you're protected in that sense. And if you have okay. my practice, coverage, no one wants to be involved in a suit, but if you are covered, then you're not paying anything out so, for yeah, anything, yeah, right? Yeah. Definitely. Um, also, we're conscious of time and I've loved this conversation so much, um, but we have to talk about Liberty Medics. And yeah, where, where do I check out? Just look so, for the checkout button. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Liberty, what I love about Liberty Medics, right? It's I've, I'm going to be honest. I've never been one to go to America. And obviously, you know the reason. I get really homesick. I moved away sure. from foundation training. I know what it is. Your branding, your website, everything just looks slick. And like you, like you said, you're stuck off for branding. I, I'm that guy. Like if I walk to you know to like Waitrose or wherever I go to shop, and I'm walking down the aisle and I see something that looks amazing, it may taste absolutely awful. I'm still going to buy it. So I I do appreciate very good aesthetic design and branding and clean 
and and when I come to your website, we're on it right now. It, it's slick, um, but I don't think many people care about my opinions. Tell us <laughs> how Liberty Medic started, where you got the name Liberty Medics, and kind of a whistle stop through you know the the generic process of kind of getting a job in America and this concept of matching. Um, because I've heard if you do really bad, you're going to get a really crappy job and it's only the people that do really well get the good jobs. And unless you get that, it doesn't work. So I know there's a few questions, but if you could cover that before we sure, wrap up, it would yeah. be amazing, bro. Sure. So, so I mean, like, Liberty Medics, where it came from is just that, like, having gone through a lot of the experience myself, and I, I, I matched into residency training in uh, 2017. So in, like, March of 2017. So I graduated from medical school in the UK in uh June of 2016 and I matched into residency training in March of 2017 so it was like pretty like straightforward for me in that sense but mm. it was only straightforward in the timeline sense in the in terms of the difficulty that involved in the process I just knew coming out the other end I was like oh my god like why did I have to figure so much of that out on, on my own <laughs> and why why were all of these like you know why were there so many situations where I made mistakes and I cost myself time and effort and money where if somebody mm. had given me like one sentence worth of advice on this, it would have made my life so much easier. And mm. really what it came down to me is that like a lot of the IMGs, the international medical grads who go to the US are from Pakistan and India and uh, Africa and Eastern Europe. Really, there's very few uh, UK students on the whole who go mm. to the US because, you know, they tend to stay in the UK. What that means is that there's not really a well-trodden like path in front of you and you don't often have that many people in the years above you who can give you direct guidance because it's just not that common a thing to be done and also your medical schools will give you zero help because nobody wants to give yeah. incentive to, to people to leave and go to america so that ended up basically me having to like mishmash my way through the entire process like bungling things reading yeah. things online going on forums where you don't even know who the person is writing things because they're like you know hello kitty 55 is like telling, giving you advice <laughs> on something it's like a student room do you remember student, student room, room? Yeah. When, when we applied for med school yeah. and interviews you know, i was getting ptsd man i was getting serious student room ptsd because that's exactly what it was like and i'm like why am i out here getting advice from this person who's like emoji is like an egg and i'm here like taking life advice from like this person <laughs> writing the comment and all of that process basically when i got to the end of it it was like a huge sigh of relief and i was massively grateful and i just thought to myself it should not have been that hard and no wonder so many people from the uk even if they have this idea no wonder they don't see it through because there are so many of these obstacles and there's just no clear way to like go through them unless you have a mentor so yeah. i was like listen like there needs to be a resource out there that um guides people who are serious about this process through the entire process so assuming that their only level of expertise or understanding or anything at the beginning is you know what i'm quite seriously considering moving my medical career to the us that's it like i just wanted that to be the only entry criteria and from that point yeah. on i wanted um to be able to like be part of making a company where we took people from that point all the way through like is this the right move for you pros and cons are these real pros and cons is it true is it like nonsense then you know the admin stuff, like how to register for these things called like ECFMG tokens. And there's so many of these little acronyms that are so confusing that like having somebody explain what an NRMP is and what the match is and what ERAS is and what ECFMG is and all of these things won't mean anything to you guys or the listeners, but that's the kind of like confusing world of acronyms that you run into. So, you know, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to explain to everyone the admin side of things. Then the step exams. 
I wanted to talk to people exactly about, you know, what each step exam is, what the content is, what are the best study resources? How do you mm. like make the most of those study resources? What's a good study timeline? How long do you need? What's a good score? Like all of these kind of things for each exam. So the step one, the step two clinical skills exam, which is like an OSCE, and then the step two CK exam, which is another like written exam, and the step three exam. So, you know, I wanted to talk Bro, to all of those exams. It's, mm -hmm. It sounds so, like, like there's so many different facets to it. Like you, exactly. until you kind of explore it, mm. and I can only imagine how difficult it was for you, not even as a qualified medic, while as a med student trying to navigate this. 100%. This, I don't know. And I feel for people, right? Like, like it, it's, it can seem so confusing, but you know, if you had a resource that talked you through chronologically, like each of these steps, and then once you're done with the exams, even that's not the end of it. Right. Cause then you're thinking about electives. Like, where do I get electives? What is a mm. good elective? Like, which one should I take? Yeah. And even in the electives world, you hear about like observerships and clinical electives and sub internships. And what are these things, right? Like, which one should I go for? I was so confused. So like we have a whole section about electives, where to get them, or what are the good ones, letters of recommendation, like when should you ask for them? How should you ask for them? What's a good letter of recommendation? We do all of that stuff. And then we talk about even like the match itself. So the match for anyone like uh, wondering what that term means, that's basically like, you know how like you had the UCAS portal that you applied to medical schools from where you applied mm -hmm. in September and then you went through the entire process and you found out at the end of the year. So, um, the match is basically the term given for that entire process where you apply in mid-September of most years. You get your interviews through like say October to January and then by March you find out that's match day basically is the third in the third week of March and on match day is when you find out where you've matched. So we talk people through like the entire match application like you know personal statement advice and like how to fill out all the sections and how to upload your letters and interview advice and all, all this kind of stuff basically like uh, it just comes down to holding someone's hand through the entire process and because that can be a really long process like i don't imagine someone um buying the course and sitting down and just watching all the videos across like three or four days it's it's <laughs> more that like you will just refer to the part that's relevant to you while you're on that that part mm, of your program yeah, that's amazing For that reason actually a lot of resources like they make you you know pay a three-month subscription or a six-month subscription or whatever for us it's just like a one-time fee and then you have it forever because we know that everyone has their own timelines right so like you might be interested in year one of medical school but then you're like well i'm not gonna do this now let me do this in five years time because i don't want to have to pay renewal fees for like five years or whatever whereas for mm, us yeah. it's like you should have the information start planning as early as possible and we don't want you to have to feel like you have to like calculate or play some kind of like chess to figure out when's the best time for you to buy this like you know uh, guide we want you to have the information at the beginning and have it forever for as long as you want so that's kind of like our way of approaching it and then we end off everything by telling people about visas and immigration because that's something we haven't talked about but it's also another huge huge issue where it's like mm. wait how do i apply for visas what's the right visa like what about a green card later down the line like and there are certain mistakes which if you make in the visa process at the beginning they will hurt you five years down the line when you're wow. finishing residency training and yeah i managed to avoid those because again I, I spent like a crazy amount of time doing all this background research and all these different articles but i don't want people to have to like all go on that like those side of mm. things and like often the problem is people don't even like they're unknown unknowns right like if you don't yeah. know you have to look for something there's no way you're going to find it on google right so mm. The idea here is basically, again, as I mentioned, taking it from step one all the way through to like you've matched what visas and categories, everything you're using all the way through to the end so that there's just a clear pathway, no confusion. And then we give people access to like this private group, like a massive like Slack channel for everyone who's subscribed where we're on there as well. So that if 
there's anything that you haven't seen answered on the course rather than going on these like student room type forums where people give like fake advice and post fake things to panic people um now we have like a really vibrant community where people post questions like every day and me and the rest of the team like will respond and people help each other and make little like working groups and accountability groups and it makes like a really nice little community so you don't feel alone because i think that's another big thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to be one of the only people in your class doing it if you're doing it. So having mm -hmm. this community, which is going to help you through it, also plays a big part. So that's kind of where the whole idea of Liberty Medics came. And I partnered with a couple of people, including, I, I think you know Ali Abdal, right? Um, yeah, so um, we need to get him yeah. onto the show. So yeah, you're going to have to force him to come onto the show. We're working yeah. our way through yeah. all the all all influencers. <laughs> I'll let him know. Ali is like one of the busiest guys I've ever met. So he's like, know, yeah. like 50 different projects. So, you know, yeah. we... we, we uh, partner with Ali and like you know Shireen's obviously gone through the entire journey my wife and she's yeah, so also she knows, yeah. in New York now is internal medicine so she has her own perspective and we have like a media team all these kind of things so now it's kind of like snowballed into a bigger thing but initially we used to do it as an in-person course and it was mm. always in London I hosted an Imperial because like they gave me a discount on the rooms because I was an alumni there <laughs> I used yeah. to host there and I would have to physically fly back from America to give the course on like one specific day in a year. And we had amazing like level of interest. Like we sold out every single one of our courses, basically it's like amazing. the first one, yeah. like 200 people there, like a full lecture room, everything. And then, um, the main issue was we had a lot of people emailing us afterwards being like, that was great. But like, I forgot about what you were saying about this thing. Or we also had people emailing us being like, I really want to come, but like I'm on call and I'm at she in Sheffield and I'm on call that weekend. Uh, like, when's your next course? And we'd be like, well, next Typical year. Typical of a doctor in England, right? <laughs> Typical <laughs> of a doctor in England. I'm on call. I can't come. I'm working nights. Man, I bet. Exactly. <laughs> so then I was like, all right, listen, like this is kind of like, it, it is a really inefficient way of doing things. So why don't we make a digital course and make it like high production value and good editing and make it so that like, it's up there forever, right? People can watch it whenever they want. They can pause, yeah. they can rewind, they can great. they want. Hmm. So um, Ali helped a lot with that as well, because you know, Ali's like the YouTube guru. So he has like an yeah. amazing setup and everything. So we went and filmed everything with him in his in his like little studio apartment in uh, Cambridge. And we uh, put together a product that I think is like amazing. And, and we continue to add to it. So even now, because things are constantly changing, right? So like as, Things change with the way the exams are structured, the content. We, now with COVID impacting things, like we added new content for all of those things so that it's like a living process and we're constantly giving mm. people update advice. So that was a long, long plug. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. like... No, nah, bro, do you know what? No, we love we, it. We're, we're very like, particularly in terms of like who we want to bring on and like we want to bring on people that we're inspired by and who have an amazing journey or a story to share and are actually giving value to people. Um, you're definitely doing it. I've heard a lot of praise about it. Um, and I can only just thank you for, on behalf of my peers who probably do want to make that move to America. I think it's great what you're doing. And yeah. if you, any, anyone that makes lives easier for everyone else, I have immense respect for those individuals. Um, so yeah, continue doing all the great work. We're definitely going to share it, plug it, um, recommend it to all our friends. Um, but yeah, I think we're super short of time. I've kept you far longer. Than yeah. I, I know I promised, you know, and it never goes about 45 minutes to an hour because <laughs> I hate wasting people's time. But this has been amazing, bro. Um, Thank you I so wanna... much, guys. I, 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 really really honestly, I haven't been counting down the minutes or anything. I've just been enjoying that conversation. So no, it's say, no, say, we haven't. Yeah, because <laughs> my, my phone's going off and I need to go back. But it's been a massive pleasure. And thank you for kind of being so honest and kind of sharing that journey mm. with us. I think a lot of people not only in the UK, you know, in countries like uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, you know, the Middle East, the African region do listen to the podcast quite heavily. So I think it'd be a very good insight for them, especially 
Um, and yeah. the good yeah. thing is we can offer them, you know, the ability to go to your course and yeah. kind of go forward with it. Osama, where can people reach out to you directly sure, if yeah. they've got a question to ask? So, so I think the, the best way to do it through is actually through the Liberty Medics uh, Instagram page, probably, because they oh, uh, we have people who like help us run it and they collect questions for us. And then they like uh, either there's questions we've answered before, in which case they already know the answers to them. Or whenever there's new questions, they reach out to us and we uh, we respond to each one. Our team are the ones who respond to each one. So it's not like a generic That's response. Perfect. We would definitely... So Share just links, yeah. Liberty Medics, L-I-B-E-R-T-Y, mm-hmm. and then Medics, uh, all one word. And then um, the website is the same, so libertymedics.com. Uh, check it out. And uh, again, that, 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 that's a really good point you made, the fact that, you know, even though we are doctors from the UK, the core group, we're actually expanding our group to make sure we also have doctors from other countries because the work we do is really not specific to the UK. I mean, yeah. naturally, you yeah, end up talking about your own story more. But all the advice we give and the pathways we give and the explanations we give are for IMGs as a whole. So tons of our subscribers are actually from India, uh, Pakistan. Mm. I don't think we have people from Bangladesh yet, but that's a clearly an unmet mm. need. So clearly the Bangladeshi doctors, we're, we're waiting for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and from uh, uh, the African continent, we have a lot of subscribers as well. So that's a key point to make. And it's one of our frequently asked questions, like, is this just for UK doctors or for all IMGs? And the answer is like the advice is for all IMGs. And mm. everyone's welcome to like the, you know, follow the Instagram page, send us messages check out the Definitely. free content there's also a bunch of free sample videos by the way so a lot of people are like you know what are the actual what's the actual course like if you go on our website they'll take you to the course and there's like 10 or something of the videos that we, there's tons and tons of like over hours of content that's available for okay. free uh, that's to amazing. give you a sense of what it's actually like as well so um yeah that's everything awesome guys thank you so much thanks for the great